Welcome back to the Your Project Shepherd Construction Podcast. We teach here that every successful construction project has these four key components that are demonstrated by this simple drawing of a house. The foundation is proper planning. The left wall is your team. The right wall is communication and the roof protecting it all is proper execution. Have all four of those components in your place and your house will be rock solid. On today's episode, uh, or on this season rather, we've been talking about uh, what do things cost and we've been covering different components of building a house, the construction project, the design, all the components that, that influence the cost of your project. And today we are going to be talking about something that a lot of people are interested in and some people go down the, the road a little bit and explore it, but they never actually execute it because they're just so unsure of kind of how to do it properly, what it's going to cost. And that is solar panels and battery storage. And today with me to talk about that, I've got, uh, again, I think for the fourth time on the show, uh, Toner Kirsting with Toner Home Matters. And also for the first time, we have Dana Hajidimos with Kima Consulting. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hi, guys. I'm so glad to have you guys. This is a topic I've been wanting to, to cover for a while. And honestly, this is something that I am very weak on. My, I, I always lean on toner when it comes to this stuff. Uh, this is not my department. So I'm glad to have an expert and uh, two experts, we'll say. We'll call Toner an expert for today. Truly, uh, sure. He is an expert. Uh, so happy to have you guys talking about this. And I know that uh, kind of like everything we've been talking about in this season with cost, um, you know, this is a, a tough conversation to have because we don't know like how big of a house we're doing, how many panels we're doing, how many batteries, all that kind of stuff. But I do want to talk about you know, what, what are those cost drivers? What influences the cost and how to not overspend on something like this? I think if somebody goes straight to a solar panel, a company that they see ads for on Facebook or Instagram, they're going to sell them potentially something that they don't need. They're going to sell them a big system, a lot of panels, and it may not necessarily meet the needs of their house. So I also want to talk about, you know, how do we plan this so that you're getting the kind of system that you need for your home? Toner, um, You've been working with Dana for a while. Why don't you start and just kind of introduce Dana a little bit and talk about how you guys started working together and how you do work together. Sure. So uh, Dana is probably one of those, It's I like to call her like a unicorn of the industry. You don't really know she's here. Um, <laughs> and I'm, But we've been working together for over six years. So for a long time for us in the solar world, a six-year relationship is like a 50-year marriage, right? Like this, that doesn't even exist. Um, and on the way over here, we were talking through old stories and I don't get to see Dana in person. She's in Austin, right? Very appropriate for you to be living in Austin and in sure this industry. Represent. Uh, right. <laughs> and um, but so when we do get to see each other, we almost all of our stories are about solar companies that have already gone out of business. So it's kind Similar of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Having the same struggle. So for to have a relationship that's been this established for this long, um, that means a lot in the industry. In fact, out of all, all of the solar relationships company-wise that we've had, Dana and I's relationship is most definitely the longest. And that's because she is a, and of course, please correct me on the actual term that you like to use, but you're a solar designer. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. And so why don't you give us a recap of what your business is, how long you've been doing it. Um, and and also after that, get into where you just came from and how important that kind of stuff is. Yeah. NAPSEP's really important. We'll definitely get to that. I moved to Austin 10 years ago. I got a job at a solar company. I have some engineering background. I actually studied chemical engineering um, in undergrad. Worked for this solar company. 
in a project management capacity. And then very quickly they realized, oh, this, this girl knows AutoCAD. She should be on our, you know, engineering and operations team. So I basically became the staff engineer at that company and uh, lasted three years or so. I was mostly doing residential design work, um, a little bit of commercial. The company imploded, for lack of <laughs> better terms. Um, <laughs> Being polite. And while that was happening, um, they, they decided to get rid of their residential division and only be doing commercial work. And so some people who had been laid off from the company started their own install crews and started feeding me some residential work on the side. So I realized, oh, maybe I can do more than just be the staff engineer at this one company. Maybe I can be the engineer for a couple of companies. And so Freelance Solar Dana was born. And that was in 2016. And Toner was one of the first clients that I, that I had, again, through one of those connections um, from that company. Basically, what I do as a solar designer is I create the plan set that details your module and inverter, so your, your solar equipment specifications, how it's going to get laid out on your roof, the electrical diagram for how it all gets wired together and connects to the grid via your breaker box or you know whatever methods we're using, obviously dictated by building codes, electrical codes. It's kind of like we always say the bastard child of structural engineering, electrical engineering, and then you know some applications thrown in. And then now as the industry is moving towards the internet of things, of course, then we have all IT and smart devices also getting integrated batteries into these systems. But anyway, that's what I do. And now I have a small team doing that, yeah. building a small team at Kiva Consulting, which is wild to say. I'm super grateful for them. Um, but we create plan sets so that your installers can uh, take them and get the permits that they might need, get the interconnection applications with the utilities that they need. Um, and then obviously the crews know um, what to build when they get on site. So if somebody hires you, are they going straight to you? Are they going through toner? Are they going through the installer? How does somebody c come to work with you? So the people who come to work with me are generally electrical contractors. I guess toner is kind of a an yeah. oddball in that in that sense. He's a unicorn. <laughs> oh, he's also a unicorn. A yes. room full of unicorns. So much. And so, yeah, I don't I don't interface with homeowners. Maybe on a special crazy battery design where you know it's a James Bond villain and we're you know, backing up who knows what's going on. Yeah. Um, and you really need to get involved on a level to figure out what the motivations for the project are. But. And and I think that's important. Um, you are a B2B client. So you're a business of business. You're not out trying to see what your Google five-star rating is. So homeowners will call Thankfully. you. But <laughs> um, I like to think of Dana as um, the way that we do our business cards internally. Um, so you can, what most people do is they call up and they say, Hey, I want this business card in this color with that font, please make it. Um, I don't do that. We uh, have a business card group out of Canada. Um, and I call them up and instead of telling them what I want, we tell them the personality and some of the things that are, that our employees like, and then they send us a business card based on the design that they think is the best. And they're always a hundred times better than what we would have chosen. So Dana, and at least with the model that we utilize, we don't give her those parameters. She gets to design that structure based on her infinite design experience and figure out what's going to be best for that system, right? We're not, we're not trying to match up to a utility program or an incentive program or anything. So 
I think when you let the uh, talented designer do the design work, you're going to get the best result from that. And, and you've always been able to provide some really, really great solutions. Um, and then we get the opportunity for some value engineering and everything associated with that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's nice to design that way, right? Like you're saying, people, I mean, it's no wonder it comes back better because there's more maybe joy, creativity in that process. Not that I don't find joy in my other solar designs, but it's very different when a contract just comes to you. Here's what was sold. I'm very disconnected from that process. Like I said, maybe in the future or obviously for energy storage, it's important that I would be um, or at least someone with that knowledge would be involved um, way earlier. But yeah, getting, you know, basically a CAD file or, you know, PDF of house plans starting from there, creating something based on their true motivation for resiliency for their house. And you just look at it from a totally different perspective. It's not how much solar can we put on this house? It's what are we trying to accomplish here? Um, I guess new construction is a little funky because the consumption and like usage patterns yeah. are a little unknown, but you've come up with something so creative to deal with that from, from the solar perspective. So we can talk a little bit. About well, yeah, sure. And, and I think it's an important to note that we're on a podcast that's about new construction and remodeling, right? not someone who has an existing home. And the way that we interact with Dana is we design for people, not houses, because honestly, on a, on a remodeled structure or a new construction home, I don't know what that energy load is. Even if I use all of the energy tools and software out there to anticipate with the load, they're always wrong, right. especially in Houston and even in Austin and my other Dallas with climate migration, those models never anticipated our number of, of cooling days in actuality and the amount of humidity we had to remove. So they're always Even the wrong. cold weather, the cold, the cold weather. weather days, big problem, maybe yeah. a bigger problem than the hot weather days, at least in, um, in Austin. And also nobody anticipated the pandemic and the way that you're living your life at home changing. And that obviously directly impacts, you know, that electric bill. Most definitely. Um, the consumption rather behind the electric bill, first of all. So before we but, get into some of those like particular designs, why don't you explain where you just came from and how much trouble you have to go through just to do right. what you do? That's part of my background. Also, I will introduce you all to NABSEP, which is a whopper of an acronym, the North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners. They don't even say solar in there, and they really should because it's, <laughs> it's by solar professionals, for solar professionals, just a, a standard for the industry, installation, design, you know, operations, commissioning, maintenance of solar energy and, and now storage systems. So I had to study up for this pretty difficult test, actually. I got my certification in 2014, which is kind of old. But you're yeah, an old I know. Fish. Now I'm, you're the I'm, old <laughs> trout. I guess so. I like unicorn better. <laughs> we were trying, I asked her today, I was like, is your number 82? Like, and, and of but course, like true engineers, uh, the numbering is complicated and nobody can really figure out how I have the number that yeah. I have. Um, but anyway, I spent this week doing continuing education at NABSEP. And it's really, well, it's cool to see new products coming out. That's always so much with solar, maybe with lots of industries. Codes constantly changing and getting updated. Technology coming online or, you know, coming to the market that then pushes those codes to change and vice versa. But it's, it's, it's nice to remember that I'm not doing this in a vacuum. Because as a, as a freelance, you know, just kind of solo designer for a lot of years and now just with a small team. 
sometimes I forget that there's that whole industry out there. We did some sessions, super technical, you know, digging into a lot of science behind the products, some vaguer or just more broad, rather, um, industry things. And then six whole hours of NEC code yesterday, which gets, gets a little dry. <laughs> It'll definitely put you to sleep. There were lots of dad jokes, you know, to make sure we were paying attention. Um, but it, but it's, it's necessary. Like I said, the codes change. And it's, it's kind of a discussion with these moderators, too, because everybody's having similar issues with their inspectors, with certain interpretations of things. Um, all this to say, NABSEP gave, kind of gave me that confidence that I have that level of certification. I have, you know, that organization and all this continuing ed just to always, you know, further my career and provide the, you know, good designs and good practices and to my clients. That's not required. Nope. So there are Certainly plenty not. of people out there. And, Certainly and not. I know there's, there's solar providers and manufacturers that will say, hey, you want to be a solar company? Here's some software. I'll give it to you. And you can just use this to design. And ideally, that software is also designing for the sale of their product. And they've never done this before. And they don't go through this kind of training, right? They, they don't have to. Um, NABSEP, I'm trying to think when. If it still is required, um, I'm thinking incentive programs at local utilities. I mean, it's certainly not required for you know anybody to have a NAPSEP solar design for you know, to get your tax credit or anything like that. It was more for local incentive programs where the utility wants to make sure that the customer is getting you know good value for what they're spending on their solar system by ensuring that there's a NAPSEP person on staff at that company, essentially. I think like any, any profession, anyone that pursues getting those extra certifications, designations, attends these kinds of um, non-required education events, that's the kind of person that you want working for you. You don't want the person that's out there blowing it off or doing the bare minimum or that's eh, not required. I don't need that. Like, we want people to go the extra mile to learn more about their industry and to, to learn how to better perform their job. That's exactly what it's about. And that was reiterated all, all week this week, too, um, at this conference, even in terms of the code. It's like the code is, how do I even say this? It's the code. We want to be doing better than the code, right? The code is the bare minimum, the minimum so yeah. to speak. And so being around people who are really trying to up the game in those regards, design, installation, all of it was really cool. Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of how we got to where we are today in the in the solar uh, energy sector. For a lot of years, solar panel installations on houses were more meant just to offset your utility cost. And that's kind of how people looked at it. But now, at least with the stuff that Tone and I do, we're looking more at, um, you know, replacing maybe a natural gas backup generator and using battery storage as it's kind of a backup system for the home in addition to maybe offsetting some some grid cost can you all talk about some about kind of what that history is how we that transition came about and maybe how that technology in the batteries changing has made that more accessible to homeowners let me kind of set that up sure. because this is something that i i don't think we could have this conversation if it hadn't been for the longer term relationship i've had with dana because I don't sell solar. I don't make any money if any of our clients buy the panels or batteries or anything. And it's amazing when we remove the economic burden from that, right? I don't care about the margins here. I don't care about the weird financing models or anything like that. I know that our clients 
when they do a, a good remodel or a good new construction house, they're going to be outperforming everybody else, which is the absolute sweet spot for then adding on production or microgeneration production, whether it be wind, I've done biodiesel, I've done biomass, I've done all these kind of things before. Solar <laughs> is the most consistent. I Hopefully. once turned algae into jet fuel. <laughs> <laughs> true so. story. True story. A vial, vial about this big. <laughs> so it's, we can get into that, but this is, this is really the, the sweet spot. And I tried to convey this to our owners, but especially out of Houston and with the increase in our storm activities across the United States, right? Natural disasters, number of days without power generators. Of course, there's a scampering for them. Every time we have a, a storm, everyone goes out and buys every natural gas generator. And a natural gas generator is really a, an asset. Let's say you have a, a whole house or even a partial house generator. It's, it's not a $5,000 deal. It sits over in the corner of the yard. It takes gas line. It takes a concrete pad. And whenever the power goes out, you it's get to use it you. only when the power goes out. So when we design for solar perpetuity, which is what we call it, I don't know if you even hear that very much in the market Just other than you, out of our stuff. So that's you, my stuff. What you toner terms. Yeah, toner, toner terms. Term. Solar perpetuity. We're designing for that same spend. And we start typically with two batteries and you locate those in all kinds of locations, generally in the garage. Right. Correct. Um, and then we start and then we can have a really, really small array. So I'm not chasing a ton of panels because we know that the batteries are there. Now, the two batteries are it's an important key. I mean, as battery technology changes and Dana, just part of that conference you went to was an expo. Right. And they talk about all these different batteries. And so I'm always she's always bringing this information back to us and helping improve it. But at the end of the day, you can have when the power goes out. I like to say two to four days of power ready to go. You can apply it across the whole house if you like. And I can speak from experience of my personal home. We've turned off the, the power to the house, ran off the batteries, and I've gone for five and a half days with, you know, two teenagers, big pool, you know, good size house in Houston. And I'm fine. And you're on end phase, correct? I'm on end, end phase batteries. Yep. Right. Um, and that works really, really well. But when I'm not in the need for backup power, um, you're still benefiting. I'm benefiting. We're running 10 days out of the month off grid because I'm just running when the batteries are full, we're running them down. And then when we go on vacation and we're not using that, I get grid credits. So it's a micro generation facility. It's off grid capability and it's backup power. And it costs me the same amount as a whole house natural gas generator. And there's almost no maintenance. That's, so yeah, that's a big one. So when we send you a design, you you give us this hybrid version, this one that shows you what the city wants to see, which is how many panels can you actually fit on, on the roof? Well, like what Curtis started us out with, I mean, that, that was solar design. It was, you know, you have this home, you know how much energy it consumes on a monthly basis. I don't have insight into daily usage pattern, not, you know, nighttime, daytime. When is the energy getting used? I mean, for traditional grid-tied solar, that maybe wasn't important because you're tied to the grid. And so no matter whether the kilowatt hour that the solar produces goes to your load or goes to the grid, you are theoretically being compensated fairly for that, which is changing. But that, that was it. So you're looking at a year's worth of consumption and I'm you know, doing a very back of the envelope calculation of, well, then a solar system of this size in you know, Houston, Texas will produce me that amount of energy. Then you're just, you're get capturing that as, offset so energy that will now not show up on your bill 
or as the production that you sent back to the grid, which will show up as a credit on your bill. And that was it. And that was expensive. That was a ton of panels. But that, it could be a ton of panels. You could run out of roof space. Um, it's just... It's it might just, not look good. Definitely doesn't. Well, I know you think all panels look good, right? Like, no, I don't even know if I would go that far. <laughs> That's why we need you know, people designing solar roof tiles out there because you want things to be beautiful and functional. And I fully believe that technology will take exactly. us there. But I, yeah, it, it pains me some of the designs that I do, popping little tiny rectangles in every nook and cranny. We still have you design that big one. Like I like to show clients depends. what it looks like because the design for solar perpetuity is such a fraction of the panels that they appreciate where, where you came from, right? Now, the actual communication of that and the functionality, you can do a great design and you work with lots of installers across the state. The actuality of the installation Let's, let's take a little bit of time to talk about that because that's the execution arm of this, right? Sure. And so how many installers do you think that, first off, how many designs did you do last year? Oh my gosh, that's a big number. Um, the busy summer months, I think it was like 300 to 350. Uh-huh. So per month, yeah, I mean, for the year, 2,000 designs. Okay. And there's not a whole lot of independent solar designers. There are a lot of people that do it internally. Yeah, usually a solar company has, you know, in-house everything or at least design maybe more tied to sale. And, you know, then they they sub out the actual installation. Yeah, it's interesting to see how the industry is. Which I think is changed. key because if I'm a solar company and I profit from the number of panels being installed, why would I not? Why would I ever consider doing a design that might serve the client better? but reduce the number of devices that I make marginal. That's a really good point. And yeah, just what kind of business are you running? What are you about? And yeah, that's, that's. Yeah. And if you gave one of them, one of our solar perpetuity designs, they'd be like, yeah, no, no, thank you for this, Dana. Meanwhile, these houses, like you said, because they're already designed smarter consumption, you know, smarter insulation, all the, all the pieces maybe you don't need to be producing as much energy as you would think for such a large house. And again, with the battery, being able to capture that extra solar that may go back to the grid, because in, in a certain scenario, you're, you know, not, you don't have a lot of load, you're not consuming, you're capturing that into your battery so you can use it later, use it at night, cycle it at night. That's mm-hmm. how you're, you know, saying yep. you're off grid for however many days a month. That's, you know, storage really adds that component like that extra self-consumption um which makes the investment even more worthwhile especially when you know maybe you're not getting compensated fairly like we're seeing some places in texas for the kilowatt hours going back to the grid or certainly in other states california is coming out with you know net metering three which is going to be basically limiting export to you know a third for backfeed so all these crazy things that the utilities will concoct but the the storage solution is just the way. Because I hadn't heard that before. Are the uh, utilities not paying as high a rates or not paying in the same way as they used to? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in Austin, I like to use Austin as an example because they never did true net metering. They do what's called a value of solar tariff, which I don't know who gets to get get together and sit around a table and decide every year or however often what the value of a solar kilowatt hour is right now i think it's nine point something cents it was you know 11 it's it's changed so they measure all of your solar production and then multiply that by that you know by that amount amount and that's the credit that you get on your bill 
net metering would be more just like your meter spinning backwards. So they count how much kilowatt hour got sent, you know, back to the utility and they credit you whatever price you pay for a kilowatt hour. So that's true net metering. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing PC, a utility um, in kind of hill country of Texas. They dropped, I think, by more than half. So you, for example, if you pay 10, kilowatt, uh, 10 cents a kilowatt hour, they're only going to give you five cents for any that you send back. And, you know, those numbers aren't exact, but it was a drastic change. Or a market like Hawaii, where you can't send anything back to the grid at all. It's a zero export market. So, I mean, it li literally runs the whole um, spectrum of options here for what utilities might so what's be the what's the incentive it, it seems like the the incentive for 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 doing it is is decreasing then right i mean other than maybe the perpetuity side of things and the storage but the net benefit to having the panels it's like i guess you're you're still saving the environment maybe by using less energy but you're still paying or you're not getting the cost benefit right or install double but like that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. I could install double the system size that I technically need because financially I need double to make that back. So like, again, what is, you know, what is that motivation? We, but the storage, the storage piece is like huge. I said, is huge. That, that. That's a really good caveat because we discussed it's this. It was like one of the first things we talked about when you came in today is the more we can break the solar generation away from depending on the utility costs to develop ROI the better because we're never going to be able to control it. If it's a 10 year spread, if anyone can tell me exactly what that utility district is going to do for the next 10 years, right, good luck. Let, let's go to Vegas. <laughs> let's go. Right. So when you have um, batteries as your micro generation facility, it's there, it's yours. You get to choose what you want to do with it. If it does overflow and you get some grid credit, great. But that's why it's important to know, okay, Hey, it's there. I, I it's, it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And you don't have to worry about the tariffs because Austin is not a retail electric provider or the grid net metering and retail electric spaces like in Houston, that's not part of the conversation anymore. It's a right. lot easier, but it also makes me very leery of that initial offer from a solar company that is depending on that because how good are those numbers? They're not good at all. They're speculation at best. How much is the price of electricity actually going to go up? I mean, you can see anywhere from two to 10% over 25 years in some of these proposals that I see. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, what is, what is that cash flow graph? Can we get like, you know, a series of lines at yeah. a bunch of different assumptions? Um, and that's just, you know, part of smart, smart consuming also. And we get this question. It's actually the most common question we get from homeowners when we're discussing solar. And mind you, in our process, we always leave solar for the last part of the conversation. Everyone has questions about it. This, what we're talking about today, I guarantee there's going to be, ton we'll probably get more questions about this one podcast than probably the one I was on earlier this week, right? So it's, it is, everyone's curious about it. They all, I think people are excited about it, despite political connotation and all these things. The interesting thing is my best solar clients are oil and gas guys That's because great. they, they understand energy. Right. They know it. And actually, the higher up in the C-suite, the more they buy and the more they want to do this. But I'm trying to remember the track I was going with this. Sorry, I got excited about that. Talking about oil and gas guys buying solar at a very high rate. <laughs> Love right? to hear that. <laughs> Love to hear that. I mean, the cost, the costs have come down. Storage is is expensive. I mean, it varies widely. What are we backing up? How long do we want it backed up? So many considerations. Right. So it varies from expensive to extremely expensive, but that's going to change too. Those costs are, you know, 
PV costs have come down drastically, the same thing will happen for storage. Maybe they're even seeing on just utility scale too. Yeah. Yeah. Costs, right. Grid parity is happening more and more. more, I'm glad that we talked about that today. But, you know, is is that the equivalent to the weatherman goes and buys a tornado shelter? Does he know something (laughs) we don't know? Right. Like, what is that? But, you know, what's grid parity? (laughs) Go ahead, Dane. Pretend I'm dumb because I am. Go ahead. How do we explain grid parity? So um, cost of solar energy versus cost of energy from, you know, fossil fuel sources. When does that become the same? We're waiting. When does that become the same? And depending on where you are, I mean, in some places it's already happened. You hear about stories in Europe where Germany is like... 200% 200% solar powered on certain days because of all of the, you know, renewable generation that they have. So just concepts around cost being equal. Yes. And just like Austin has a higher rate of grid parity because they have nuclear power that is really, really inexpensive per kilowatt versus, you know, some other production. So if that's really getting into some, some weeds, but that is the goal. The grid parity is the goal is that solar becomes equal or less in terms of cost for production than fossil fuels. Right. And once we hit that, that's why right. folks enter this market thinking this is the future because it quite frankly is the future, right? Where we're seeing the biggest version of grid parity every day is in the electric versus gas vehicles, right? We're starting to see what would we want to call that vehicle parity. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like a bad comedy show, right? Um, I don't know what that is. So Sir, are you talking about, residential systems installed on houses parity or are you talking about like large solar farm i was parody? talking more on a utility scale when i use that term okay what came to my mind though in terms of you know for your house it's like okay well my electricity costs this in texas still pretty cheap my parents in connecticut 2.5x what we pay here but if you're looking at your solar proposal then too everybody is well, in the install world too, price per price per watt, right? That's the power rating of the system. But what you really should be looking at is how much energy is this thing going to produce over 25 years, which you can model relatively easily. And so what's your price per kilowatt hour? Because then you can figure out kind of your own grid parity, if you will, for your house. There's that assumption of how much your electricity cost is going to actually increase over however many years that you're doing your calculation. But that's how you figure out. Does a residential system last your for, own grid for 25 years? Is it a twenty? I mean, is there is there some decline in performance over the lifetime there of the is. system? Is there it going to maintain the same output? Oh, I wish I brought some module spec sheets with me. Right on the front of most module spec sheets will show you the performance, um, you know, decline curve basically. And I, what do they guarantee? After twenty five years, still eighty percent production, if not higher, and that's standard, mm-hmm. if you will. Module manufacturers warranty the equipment for twenty five years. You know, hopefully you got a new roof before you get solar and your roof lasts about that long, too. <laughs> not not in Houston, um, unless you do a metal also roof. Also right. true. Also yeah. true. Houston, what a, what a difficult place to do. Design, I always find, or a fun or fun place to that's do That's right. Design. That's very <laughs> fun here. I, I think the warranties are absolutely hilarious with solar groups, with solar products and solar companies, because I don't know any of that's winning them been around for 25 years. Not yet. Not so quite yet. Not quite yet. That's, you know, yeah, the, the bank ability. Right. I mean, huge players. Entering, exiting all the time. We used to um, install nothing and design with nothing but LG solar panels. You've heard of LG, right? Everything, mm-hmm. every appliance in your yeah. home. Um, and they exited the solar market last year. Wow. So 
Right. You can't predict so it. So what do we you do can. with all of the okay. LG batteries that we designed? And, and obviously someone's going to pick it up. Yes. But they that brings have. us to. I think cut. they rebranded from LG Chem to LG Energy. And they weren't bad batteries because, at all. Well, yeah, yeah everybody now is hot on, on the lithium um, kind of like thermal overheating issues and the batteries start blowing up. But the good news there is the lithium ion phosphate batteries are very safe. So I'll tell you, I'll <laughs> tell you basically, because you just, you just let the flaming cat out of the bag. Ah, someone um, had to do it. That's <laughs> all I've been hearing about all week. We hear UL about. 9540. We hear about the safety of these things, right? Like, I mean, everyone kind of tries to tell me, well, I had a lithium battery phone that caught fire, right? Like, cause what was the Samsung phone that had a battery that did heat up and some did catch fire. We have a, uh, a jurisdiction here. And if you're installing a lithium battery, you're not allowed to attach it to the home for fire cook. Okay. I can understand that. Cause when it does catch fire, it's the sun melting on the side of your house. It's, it is not a oxygen in there. It will just it keep, will keep going. Oh. So so their rule was you cannot attach it to the home, understood, but you're welcome to put it on a four by four post four inches away from the home. So <laughs> that's, that's the that safety the solution. That's the solution. So obviously that fire marshal doesn't understand the intensity, but I always like to point towards uh, the Prius, right? Um, some of the first introduction of lithium batteries on a commercial scale. Um, they thought that originally they were going to be eight year products and that would be dead, right? Like where they remember the, I remember reading an article. Where are we going to store the Prius batteries? Like that was sure. going to be mm-hmm. a thing. And you know where we store them all? In cabs in India. Because that's where every Prius goes after they're 20 years old. And they're still cabs they're everywhere. still running. Right? And they're still running. And um, of course, there's disposal and all that kind of stuff. But there, we, I guarantee that you will have a dishwasher catch, catch a house on fire way before the lithium battery does. Um, and dishwashers are not even regulated to the point that lithium batteries are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm not really necessarily concerned about that. I did want to kind of go back around to some of the, the pricing when that's when the oil guys threw me off um, is on ROI, right? Like that's the question I get all the time. What's the ROI on this? In fact, the proposals try to speak to our most of the solar proposals will speak to ROI in them. But I would like to remind everyone that's listening to this podcast that has a house or is remodeling or building new. What's the ROI on that dishwasher? It's horrible. It's 100% going to get thrown away in less than 25 years. Almost everything that's forward of the sheetrock has a worse ROI than solar. It will not make you a single dime. Your countertops will be replaced. Likely your cabinets, your flooring, your appliances, your lighting. Most of your paint will degrade. Most tree might keep some baseboards, maybe a door or two. But the vast majority of the house forward of the sheetrock has the worst ROI. If I if this solar system provides one penny, we've outperformed the vast majority of the products in the house. I would say the argument there is that those other things you're going to have to have in your house regardless, whereas the solar in today's market is still kind of an optional add on. So people are evaluating it differently than they would the countertops or the dishwasher or whatever. So let's talk about that. When is it required? When is when is what other states require solar right now on residential homes? Do you know? I don't even know if okay. I know the answer to that. I, I California. California. I mean, here required to be in the plans, right? It's, required. Yeah, solar I mean, ready, right? Solar ready. So solar ready. In the city of Houston, um, you are required, and it's actually not a new requirement. It's been around since 2018. Um, you have to pre-design a house for solar um, in order to be certified that you meet the energy code. 
and that requires three things. One is a homeowner certificate that shows the array um, in scale. It shows the consumption per panel. You you've done hundreds and hundreds of these for us, if not thousands. Um, We turn that into the city. Um, Then you also have to provide what's called the construction document, which shows the array um, pre-wire conduit size location. Um, And then the energy certifier has to inspect it. Um, Now there's a couple of ways to pencil whip your way through that. I don't recommend it, Um, but that's why we've been, I can say every house I would say not every 90% of all the houses that we've done since 2018 are fully pre-wired for solar. Yeah. Um, so, and, and those are, those are, I would say 99% have been your designs. So we're really happy with that. And you say the, the so city code, is there some over, so it's a city of Houston state, code. It's just city of Houston. So mandating there, there was a requirement that all jurisdictions had to evaluate the adoption of a solar design or option. So all of them should have it in their planning periods when they're going to implement either design or require installation. The good thing about a city implementing design is it can delay for a long period of time the requirement for installation versus other states where they didn't require design. They just jumped to straight installation um, where that's more of a California rule. Colorado has a similar rule and some other states. And then it can be refined all the way down to this small city. So there's a couple small suburbs in Dallas um, that require actual installation of a solar device, but that solar device can be a solar attic fan. I see. So I see. they get kind of pencil whippy with solar it. heating for your pool. That's right. What can you do if, if somebody's like, I, I want to do solar in the future, but not today when I build the house, what, what things can be done today to make life easier in the future, both on the design side and on the, on the construction side, uh, you know, the kind of the bare minimum that the city makes us do is we've got a tube going from the electrical panel to the, to the peak of the roof. That's it. I don't know you if that, is, is, is that really enough? Is, <laughs> is there something else that should be done? It's pretty, it's pretty simple. I mean, because, well, with Toner, we kind of have this approach of, okay, let's do two batteries and a limited amount of solar and then get a picture of the consumption and then reevaluate. But even if you're not doing that, if you're not installing yet and you're going to install in two years, the inverter technology is going to be different, theoretically, the modules, the wattages. So we've allotted space on your roof, but today the modules are 350 and in two years, watts, I'm saying, and then in two years, they're 400. So now mm, the wire sizes might not, yeah, they might not necessarily need to be different. But my point is you're at least still leaving it a little open-ended for install. And that's why it is as simple as, you know, piping conduit for the wires that will go from here to here. Maybe you're going to do storage and you weren't going to do storage before. And so, you know, all the, the math that has to get done to figure out, you know, the, you know, fusing and whatever pieces of your system, interconnection points that it just could change. So it's, it's like, why are you going to do all of that design at this stage when you haven't actually made all those decisions yet? So it's. And easy, just keep it simple. And I would say that we're we're also trying to reserve space on the roof, right? So I don't have a plumbing stack pop up right where the panels are going to go. We're trying to we build these wonderful envelopes, and I don't want to have some solar guy pop up who doesn't wasn't part of the original team three years from now and inadvertently pop a hole through the envelope and not seal it properly. Especially when we get into garages, right? We have fire fire codes based based on those garages, so I need that. I'd like to have the conduit there in place. I like to have the pre wiring there in place. 
ready to go so we can preserve all of the auxiliary things. Um, no more leaks on the roof, penetrations through the envelope, moisture introductions, violation of the energy, or excuse me, of the fire envelope. Um, that's a safer play. I had um, a project where they installed uh, two batteries. I won't say the manufacturer because they're so huge. They'd probably come down and, and, and rain fire on me. But it was a retro house, actually not far from here. It's Bel Air house, detached garage. So you have a detached garage, you have the big two-story house, and there's normally a, a little covered breezeway. And that covered breezeway is normally where the, all the electrical home runs run through. So that's why they installed it there, because that's where the panel was. But that had a, a very, it was after, just after a remodel. They decided to do it really, really late. Well, there was a firewall that was built between that, um, at that breezeway. And that's a really important place to build one. And in fact, they retroed it because of the fire risk. Well, the solar installer, when he's running his conduit, didn't want to run conduit over the roof. And I appreciate that. I wish he had run it along the edge of the soffit. He went right through that and he broke out and he used a claw saw. Do you know what a claw saw is? It's the back of a hammer. So it has a name. It's, yeah, it's called a claw saw. So it's a the huge hole. Ran his conduit, which went all the way in and then up the side of the house. Um, and they actually went through the roof from the underside, which is always a fun thing to try to repair. So all well and good. Well, they had a vehicle fire. And because of that conduit run, all the fire went up, followed that hole through the firewall, through the breezeway and torched the house. So had we done all of that or had all of that been designed and performed during the remodel, it would have been sealed properly. We would have the fire pro proper fire blocking and we would have been there. So, yeah, and what's the what's the cost to do that? <laughs> oh, I mean, nothing. It's, it's, that conduit's nothing, nothing, it's <laughs> nothing. Somebody's time for it's like one of the cheapest things that you can to. install in a house that plastic oh, yeah. conduit, the Smurf tube or whatever. Yeah. And and it's the same as speaker pre-wire. I mean, right. we both started in the industry where every house you sold. Oh, yeah, it's pre-wired for speakers and no one ever installed the speakers. Right. right. So if you do this and you decide not to put in solar, um, that's fine. But you can say and you can sell your house that this house is literally and figuratively pre-wired for solar. And you can show the stub outs. You can show sometimes I have some clients, some builders that put very distinct labeling there. They reserve the space on the panels and everything. And that's a selling option. They can't get more money, but it may help the house sell faster. So I think that's a key benefit. So beyond beyond just the minimum of, of running the conduit from the panel to the roof, it, it's also smart to run to a future battery location, maybe in the garage. Correct. So not so. just the one conduit, run two conduits. It's. $40 worth of conduit instead of $20 worth of conduit. Exactly. Right. And, and then just the aesthetics for later, not having to dig through. Yeah, you're not replays, having to cut you know, holes in drywall and everything else. You don't follow me on social media, do you? I don't. You don't excuse you, me. You don't have to. Of course to. I do. Okay, it's a slow moving train wreck. <laughs> but I love I love to take pictures of conduit strewn um, solar <laughs> installs just across these roofs and down the side of the house. And I had one the other day that dropped off the fascia. And instead of coming back to the side of the house, they just kept it eight inches off the house and dropped it two stories. I was like, that oh. was beautiful. That's so ugly <laughs> and nasty. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. So, and we would hopefully never see that from any of our installs, especially because hopefully it's already pre-done. Hopefully everybody's NAPSEP certified and they know to do better. You've got it. That was a good bring back. <laughs> you know, and we discussed this morning, I feel sorry for the, um, I actually feel sorry for our clients that bought systems six, seven years ago. <sighs> what is the difference between panel production when you started oh and panel production? Yeah, now? I was thinking about that this week. 
I think when I first started, we were doing like 240 watt panels. Yeah. And now we're doing 400s. Wow. Years later. So almost twice the production um, per panel. Some improvements to efficiency. Yeah. Without having to do like a bifacial or, you know, some crazy manufacturer love- who has a different patent and a you know, copper back late or something. You said one of my favorite solar turns, the bifacial panel. I mean, they are pretty. They are pretty. They are pretty. Why don't you explain to everyone a bifacial panel is? Explain to me because I've never heard that. So um, normal modules, they just have the back sheet. So it's basically the light penetrating the solar cell just in one direction. But when you're bifacial, then it can, it can reflect back. So it's like they're see-through. So it's two layers of glass. And so you're getting like double... And what double photon penetration <laughs> and what that technology and their testing didn't take into account for is the increase in the solar reflective index quality of roofing per the energy code. So our roofs actually based on energy code were required to have a certain amount of reflectivity of heat and light and UV. Um, so that's the CSRI. So the new energy codes require a higher SRI, which is actually making those panels perform even greater than they anticipated. So better investment than yeah. I mean, they are more expensive, obviously. But speaking of investment, let's let's kind of move into the cost side of things. For for a typical typical is a terrible term, I think, but for a typical home that want we're in Houston, so let's talk about Houston that wants you know a battery battery backup, two batteries, a small array to achieve solar perpetuity. What's somebody going to spend on average on a system like that? And this may be a better question for Toner because you said you, you don't get too much into the cost no, side of no, things. No, I would be. I'm interested to hear what he sure, so, says. I mean, PV alone, what do you figure? 3350 a watt? Yeah. 6KW <laughs> system? I mean, maybe even say 10 just for ease. We, well, what we're doing is we're really, I'm not even, I don't care about, there's, I don't care about the solar costs. I care about the natural gas generator cost because that's what, that's the bucket I'm pulling from. We're not pulling, we're not creating a new bucket of money for solar. We're just taken from the natural gas bucket that was sitting there. So everyone wants a natural gas generator in their new construction. And how much? So you tell and that me, was, Chris. Yeah, what, what was that? What's number? that cost? You know, it depends on the size of the house. Okay. But on, on the low side, fifteen thousand. On the high side, thirty-five, forty thousand. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I was going to say a twenty-four kW Generac, twelve grand. Yeah, before yeah, yeah. before install before and installed. all the maintenance and add-ons yeah. and everything. It's, okay. Let's say twenty grand yeah. out the door on something like that. Maybe we like to tell people that an, a good natural gas generator, depending on the size, is going to be twenty to forty thousand dollars. The average solar perpetuity that's going to be two batteries, four to eight bat eight panels, depending on the production of the panel type, brand, manufacturer, bifacial or not. I have a bifacial job we're doing right now. It's really awesome. We were able to cut the panels down by 60%. Yeah. And fitting onto this really cool 1930s um, cubist uh, project. It's oh, really awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and lay them flat, all this white roof it, all this kind of stuff. Like, they so just let me go nutty on Energy it. production can be right? beautiful. It can be beautiful. So, uh, but on an average house, and we just finished one up in the Woodlands, Texas, just an average production builder house. It was uh, probably like a DR Horton or something. We're also, that install was $32,000. Now, so let's say it's twenty dollars to $40,000. Do you don't, the, that's before incentives. I never, ever speak about the incentives because I don't guarantee that any of that's going to be there. And I want this decision to make sense without them. So incentives for me are just barbecue and that's it. So if you do $38,000, on eight panels, two batteries, you can run off the grid a couple of days out of a month. You can get grid credits, micro generation facility, and you get two to four days of power on your whole house. 
you spent that money, but you got $12,000 back. That's great. That's just icing. What kind of incentives are there currently here in 2023? The federal investment tax credit, 30%. It was coming down um, in steps until the IRA mm-hmm. went through at the end of last year. 30% of the cost of the 30% system? 30% of the top line cost of your energy yeah. storage system. And is that is that panels and battery combined? And labor, materials, the whole shoot Correct. and that? Top yep. line. And top what line we do is cost. we even back in our design costs into that. So you'll get paid back 30% of the design costs, which are a fraction. And so it's a, that's a, that's a good incentive. So $30,000 system, $9,000 back, right? Is my math. Yeah. No, you got it. My public school math working. So for $21,000, can you go buy a natural gas generator? That's going to give you more than just a couple of days a year, whenever the power goes out. That might even not start when you need it. (laughs) (laughs) That makes noise. Yeah. I mean, we do have neighborhoods here in Houston that no longer allow natural gas yeah, generators. Noise, exhaust. Yep. Yeah. 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 When the thing kicks on and the whole neighborhood's got them, it's like, you know, yeah. it's this, this ambient noise just increases. Mm-hmm. You can't sleep. <laughs> A power outage. Um, what I also want to point out is the batteries, there's, there's no downtime. So the, the grid goes down and your loads stay powered. Mm-hmm. It's so like, it's, I mean, less than milliseconds, right? It's, it's very quick uh, to change over. Whereas a generator, your loads are going to go down and have to repower in what, 30 seconds? Yeah. Generally. The, the batteries actually know um, the power is going out before you do correct. because it senses the grid <laughs> depletion frequency. first. Yeah. yeah. The frequency and oh, yeah. well, frequency it clicks voltage, over. Yeah. Yep. Inverters are very smart. Have we talked about how cool they look in a garage? Like <laughs> you've shown me some actually. Yeah, they look awesome. It looks like you compressed kit and stuck them on the wall. It's like they are good looking spaces and. I, I I had one battery manufacturer say, oh, yeah, you can disconnect it and take it with you. It's like, I don't know if you're going to go through all that trouble. That, well, they're so heavy. They are super, <laughs> They're so heavy. heavy. That's a two-person job for sure. So one thing I also wanted to touch on was, again, I, I see a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm on social media all the time. On Instagram. I'm you too. On Instagram yeah. oh. and Facebook, I'm constantly getting these solar panel, solar company ads. And a lot of them talk about financing, like, you know, get this at no cost up front because they're going to finance the, the cost of the panels and the install and all that stuff. What are those, um, those financing schemes? Schemes may not be the right word, or it might be. How does that work? And is that a good or a bad situation? Because it seems to me like you're replacing your power bill with a payment to the solar company. I don't disagree. And I also have limited experience with solar financing. It's that type that um, I'll, I'll give you a real world, real world example. Um, on Galveston Island, there is a uh, this really cute 1901 structure down in the historic district. It's been owned by the same family since 1901. Um, and the woman who lives in it is very, very sweet. Um, but she likes to, I mean, how do I say this? Collect a lot of things. Um, and But she's living in this home and she's on a very, very limited budget. And it's very expensive to be on a limited budget and live on Galveston Island because your insurance is like $16,000 a year just to live there, right? If you want to have insurance, if you own the house, you don't have to have insurance at all. So she's on a limited budget. So solar person comes up, knock, knock, knock. She's super happy to talk to anybody. They come in, they say, Hey, um, can I see your electric bill? She shows it to him. She's like, yeah, I live on Galveston Island, 1901 house. I have a $436 electric bill on average. How about how? And they say, how would you like to not have an electric bill? Well, that's, that sounds great. Okay, awesome. We're going to put on this array. 
no batteries. I look across and because I see her house from my house and there are like 41 panels mm. on the roof of this 1901 home. No, no conversion of rafters, no structural considerations, conduit running down the outside, everything. So now she they're right. She doesn't have a four hundred and thirty dollar electric bill. She has a four hundred and thirty dollar bill to the solar company. And when she dot, when she sells that house, it comes due. And it's spread out over 30 years, 30 years. Wow. That she's, most of the she's 83. So her estate will be burdened with this bill. That is, that's predatory. In my opinion, it's not okay. Now that's not saying that all financing models see, that's a good word, right? Financing models. Yeah. It's better than schemes. <laughs> aren't great. Um, but, we we discussed this earlier when, you know, 10 years ago, they tried to do solar leasing and how complicated that was the real estate model. And Curtis can speak to this because he's a he's a realtor. Also, how challenging it is when you sell a structure and sell a home and you tell a new buyer, hey, by the way, you got to pick up the um, remaining eighteen thousand dollars on this solar bill. Right. Yeah. No one's going to want to do that. <laughs> no, it happens all the time. Like, okay. We'll give me a credit at closing That's you know, right. to cover that. Right. right. That's or, right. Or take that, take that off the price or whatever. Yeah. Right. So, and that, and that's a real deal. And we, we're, we're dealing with litigation behind that. It's actually the fastest growing part of our lit of our, uh, building performance litigation business are what we call abandoned sites. Um, and they're related to solar failures, systems that aren't working as contracted, um, ones that are just dead in the water. And those are extremely complicated to diagnose and figure out what to do with it. And a lot of times they're just trying to get the solar company to be a, a good company. So we're actually more of a contractual um, issue than many of the physical solar installation issues. I mean, like you see in a lot of construction stuff, it's, it's like the classic over-promise and under-deliver. So I, I think that a lot of these solar installations solar installation company and sales companies make big claims about what they're going to get you. And then people get really upset when, when they're not getting what they thought they were getting. Right. And how quickly, I mean, timelines at utilities for interconnection applications, time timelines for permitting. Yeah. It all, it all can add up in addition to maybe, you know, companies needing business one-on-one yeah. <laughs> so they can operate. Yeah. Better. I mean, so, solar companies are a, a, a contractor. They're, they're a, a a subcontractor when we hire them, but, but they're a contractor just like any other construction trade, plumbing, electrical, GC, whatever. So they have the same struggles that a lot of construction companies have, uh, being a, a low barrier to entry to get into the business in general, uh, here in Texas, at least. Most definitely. And, and I encourage all my builders to not contract the solar, like kind of like the whole, do you contract the pool or not? Right. Right. Um, I recommend they don't let them be independent because you could have, you could be finishing up two years of really high quality work and have the last solar install wreck that goodwill. Let right. them be independent. Their contracts are super specific and trying to blend their contract through your contract makes it very difficult to interpret who's responsible for warranty. So I always recommend keep those two things separate. I mean, there's a, there's a project that Toner and I are consulting on right now that we were talking about before we started recording. Um, where a solar company here in town really overpromised the homeowner on what they could deliver. You know, she, she came to um, this guy and said, I want to be able to, if, if we get a hurricane and our power's out for two weeks, 
I want to be able to run my house for two weeks with off, you know, off batteries. batteries. And he said, oh yeah, sure. We can do that. And it's on a, uh, a townhouse with maybe a 800 square feet total of flat roof. And then you have to deduct to the walkway around the perimeter of the roof on that situation. So now you've got maybe 500 square foot area to put enough panels to power four batteries. Maybe or, or, that she's not going to get what she they told her she was going to get. Yeah. yeah, two weeks. Yeah, well, two weeks of whole home backup. Yeah, and, 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 how and, big is her wallet? Well, she has a lot of batteries, <laughs> and she and she said, "I want to run all." Both two air conditioning units. I, I want to run both air conditioning units and my refrigerators, my freezer, and everything else for two weeks. Oh, sure, we can do that. Yeah. So yeah, should and could or that's right. And and so they're doing yeah, they're doing a ton of batteries, but the how long it's going to take? Maybe six panels to charge six batteries. Uh, it's going to be forever. Kilowatt hours. Yeah. Let me do some quick math. One panel is going to make you how many kilowatt hours in a day? Can I do that? Can I use the calculator? You're welcome to use a calculator <laughs> if you want. You know, the only thing is the cat, the using the calculator doesn't translate on podcast very well. Right. So it you doesn't. need to make sure you go click, 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 click as you're using not. the, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. You did that just as I was yeah. stepping in my phone and it alarmed me. All right. So assuming let's assume 385 watt panel in a year makes that many in a day makes yeah yeah it's gonna be a long if you're time. filling so well filling right are we really taking the batteries from zero to 10 kilowatt hours each during that day if you were you would literally need you know 60 modules to do that so yep. but even let's say yeah 30 modules i did back math on that yeah. and i said here's the deal if we can get them installed with those number of panels and give us 60 days of production, you're probably going to be close to full capacity. But then if you drain it, it's not going to be the same because I'm charging 60 days before they move in. So once they have other consumption, I can't tell the variables on weather. It, it's a minimum 60 to 90 days to charge all those batteries. But no one that conveyed that. <laughs> Which in uh, maybe this op application, not so much, but when you're thinking about true off-grid, grid independence with solar and batteries, a gas generator is like an integral component of also that whole system. Mm -hmm. So that when you have that two-week outage or, you know, unpredictable weather, rain, and your batteries do, your, bat your battery bank does get depleted, you have a way to recharge it. See, that's kind of where where the ridicule from the oil and gas guys is coming. Yeah. In. It, it, it's like it's like buying your um your all electric Ford Lightning pickup truck and having the generator sitting mm -hmm. in, the, in the bed to charge it. Well, we do have to remember that we were very very close from during the two freezes ago of natural of residential natural gas being shut off. Mm -hmm. So we just have not experienced that natural gas shut off yet. But Dana and I um, did a project over on Olympia, not very um, here in Houston, beautiful. And they have a really nice pool house that they're building, but then they have their original 7,000 square foot house up front. So Dana helped design that as a bug out house. In the event of a storm, that entire pool house is running and humming off of a two battery setup and eight panels. They bought just the small enough natural gas generator for the main house to keep one AC going or keep, no, excuse me just to keep the dehumidifiers going, not even AC. I don't care about AC. Screw that. 
right. just dehumidifiers and their refrigerators and stuff. So they would all leave. Everything's secure over there. And they move into the bug out house and they hang out there and they have a good time. But then we did a, a reverse switch so they can also take the natural gas generator and charge the battery with it if they want to. So, yeah, that was a really, really cool house. Last, last topic I want to touch on is uh, solar roofs uh, or solar roof panels, solar roof tiles, shingles, yeah. solar shingles. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been seeing more of these. I think Tesla ha- has, has theirs. There's some other manufacturers coming on the market for that. So let's talk about are, the, are those good? Are they worthwhile? Is that, I, again, I know nothing about this topic almost. So I'm, uh, you guys take take the solar panel shingle topic and run with it. I have not designed one myself yet. I know less than a handful of contractors who did the Tesla program and I believe have installed some. The issue with Tesla, even like with their power walls, is talk about overpromising and underdelivering. You can never get their products mm. <laughs> supplied. Um, so I'm yeah disconnected from. Um, you know, how the roof product is kind of going for them at the moment. I have seen schematics. Um, I mean, it's elegant. It's elegant and beautiful. And the efficiency of the solar cells might be two, three percent less than, you know, a regular standard module. But when you can cover more surface area of your of your roof, that doesn't really matter. I think it's also the area perspective. Just just the aesthetic the aesthetics. So you're not seeing a, a large array of panels on top of your roof. Right, you're not punching holes in roof, right? It just it, it just is. And also, um I mean they're they're rated for hail damage, um just like a regular solar module. Um so they make a pretty resilient roof from what I understand. They do they're they're very architecturally significant, right? So they don't work on all styles of structures. Um it kind of reminds me of the 1980s lifetime roof, right? That was this kind of square rectangle a less relief though it's more of almost like resembling of a concrete tile that you would use on a more uh transitionally modern structure so that's a little bit of a challenge um to make it look good i have seen a couple houses that have them and they don't need to have that style roof but you know what the roof is super cool um we are on two projects where it has nothing to do with the production quality or the or the product itself but they were there's a lot of excitement especially around tesla products so we've had some some guys that were probably not really ready to tackle this project that product that did and now the the site is abandoned and we're trying to find someone to come on to do it but the money's not there and the owners are hurt and then we have another one where it there's nothing wrong with the install there's nothing wrong with the product but the way they were sold the end result was so poor to begin with that we're having to come in and as we call that our busting bubbles. We're just popping everyone. Everything you thought this was going to do, it is not going to do because your math was bad to begin with. And I'm the velvet hammer in that situation coming in and we're the in-between. And those and it, were both Teslas. Both, uh, both Teslas, yeah. And once again, nothing wrong with the product whatsoever. One was install, installer problem. One was perception of sale, and and we're having to migrate, we're having to navigate through both of those. But new products, I mean, even with energy storage, all these batteries coming on the market, I mean, 
it's funny. I'll get I'll get some some new technology that I've never seen come across my desk, and I'm the first person seeing that at the solar company. Somebody sold it. They didn't maybe understand, <laughs> but then the crew has to go through also this very steep, quick learning curve to get that installed correctly. So it's like, wait a second, we're doing this all wrong here. Let's get trained for the products and then decide we're going to, you know, only sell those when we really know what we're doing and know what we're installing. But this industry has, you know, just um, forced, yeah, those forced contractors into thinking that they have to behave this way when really they should lead and say, no, we're going to do the research first, learn first. Maybe let the products go through several iterations to get the kinks out. I mean, we're having like Gen 3s of a lot of these batteries coming out. Powerwall's on two, Enphase is coming up on three, Panasonic's Evervolt is coming up on three, and the list goes on. So they get more elegant. The teams, you know, get more wise as to how the products work, how to work with them, what works well, what doesn't, what design scenarios and use cases should actually be applied. And then it's a better deal for everyone. Well, I think we're about out of time for today's uh, solar discussion. So I appreciate you being here, Dana and Toner. Always good to have you back as well. Thanks for having uh, me. And we'll definitely do this again uh, in the future. We have some more, uh, we have an episode planned next season about building technologies. And so I think there's some more discussions that can be had on this as we get into that. Absolutely. So, And uh, thank all of you for joining us today on the Your Project Shepherd podcast. Uh, We hope that you join us next time. We uh, have one or two more episodes left on season two, and then we'll probably have Toner back for our uh, end of season wrap up where he and I will kind of just give a quick synopsis of everything that we've talked about this season. So anyway, thank you so much for being with us and we'll catch you next time. Mm